passage today comes from Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him. They observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, keeping the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed. And there are many other customs they have received and keep, like the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, and dining couches. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? instead of eating bread with ceremonially unclean hands. He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. He also said to them, You have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother, Whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corban, that is, an offering devoted to God. You no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many other similar things. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he went into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, welcome. Uh, My name is Ted. I serve on staff at Reconciliation Church. Uh, If you're new, at Reconciliation, we want to be a movie trailer glimpse of heaven. We'll talk more about that later on in this sermon. We're in Mark chapter 7 today, so if you have a Bible or if you have your device, you won't offend me if you turn to your Bible on your phone. I'd actually love it if you did um, follow along on Mark chapter 7. We're going to be looking at placing God's commands over our own human tradition and cultural preferences today. Mark chapter 7. Before we jump in, let's pray together. Father, I pray today we would hear from you. 
God, would you give us ears and hearts ready to receive from you today? Lord, we need you. Oh, we need to hear from you. God, I pray that um, even now, uh, with whatever we're bringing in, uh, we would be ready um, to hear from you and to see, God, how you might have us live in light of how good you are. Yeah. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I married my wife, I quickly realized that her family is intentional. They are really into having time with one another. They're, they're actually so into having time with each other on the holidays that I got nervous right from the start. Because I think at least maybe for the last 30 years of my wife's life, they've had the same schedule around the holidays. Like this grandparent's house at this time, prime rib at this time, next grandparent's house, you know, the next day. And when we got married, as you would think, I thought, well, we have my side of the family too. And also, part of the holidays, I don't want to hang out with either side of our, our family, right? So am I going to mess this up? And I started to strategize really quickly, also because I've always worked for a church, and Christmas is pretty important, so can we even make it on Christmas Eve to Grandma's house? Probably not. So I started strategizing how can I make this work for everybody? How can I make Ashley's family happy, my family happy? How can I make sure I'm still present at the church and with our church family? And uh, thankfully, my wife's family is really loving, and we actually don't have to fit in with the last 30-year schedule, and we can do our thing, and they're great, right? I'm, I'm willing to bet that you've had a situation like that. Maybe not with your family, but with some social group. You've stopped and thought, how am I going to fit in here? Can I, or do, do I even know all of the things required of me to be accepted by these people? But today we're going to see that in God's family, he's much more concerned about what's going on inside of you than what you can portray and, and display to your community. And there is behavior that's fitting when you're following Jesus, but it, but it comes out of your love for him, not him expecting you to do certain things. So as we dive into this text, when we see the word clean, we're not thinking about hygiene here. We're, we're thinking about acceptable. What, what makes me acceptable in terms of holiness? And so like me being tempted with my wife's family to try to make everything work under my own efforts, this is what we try to do with God, to put forth all of our human efforts to make ourselves feel clean and acceptable. Let's dive in. Here's what we see first in, in verses 1 through 8 of this text that God desires our lives to be pure, but our hearts must be near to Him. Verse 1, we see the Pharisees and the scribes. And if you don't know anything about the Bible, these are the Jewish religious leaders of the day. This is why they're questioning Jesus. Evidently, some of His disciples aren't washing their hands. And the Pharisees, they're not worried about health code. They're, they're worried about this being a moral purity 
issue. That's why verse 3, Mark gives us this commentary. He's given this for Gentiles, non-Jews, to explain what's happening here. That the Pharisees have this tradition of ceremonially washing before eating. So, before we go further, the Pharisees are doing some things right here, right? They're concerned about holiness. They know that God is holy and pure. He's completely other than, and he calls his people to be holy. If you're interested, extra credit, you can look at Leviticus 11, check, check more of that out and learn more. Here's the thing. Here's what they get wrong. They're concerned about what they can do with their own efforts, so much so that just with ceremonial hand-washing, they create 250 of their own laws on top of God's. Actually, God only created one law in Exodus for ceremonial hand-washing, and it was specifically for priests. But they make 250 laws and make everyone abide by these rules. Pharisees, Just to be extra careful, if we're going to be righteous in God's sight, their mentality, this depends on us. Now here we believe that all Scripture is relevant for us today, but we're not arguing about ceremonial hand laws, so, so what does this have to do with us? We're not beyond instituting our own traditions. Sometimes they're very explicit, like, requiring women to wear certain clothes. Sadly, that's not an old school thing, but some churches still require that. But it can be really implicit too. Like only using certain language and you're accepted here. Only knowing specific things about the Bible and we'll accept you. Uh, Most of my time in ministry has actually been working with college students. There's a very uh, implicit underlying tradition with college students who are trying to be good. You, you date for a year, you're engaged for six months, you get married, you buy some kind of doodle puppy, then you get a mortgage. That's how you know you're being a good Christian couple. No one would say that, right? But that's the pattern. That's the tradition that's been set up. Now, if you look at the passage you already know what happens when we create our own ideals of how to live rightly. The Pharisees, they look down on Jesus' disciples. They judge them. This is what we do as well when we decide what's the right thing for a Christian to do. Uh, I I decided, you know, I went back and forth on whether I was going to say these things, but you've seen this recently in a big way, right? Christians and all over the place decided quickly, what's the best thing to do with a mask? How long do we wear it? Should we wear it? Do we wear it? Now, what do we, and then if someone else has a different idea, I, can you believe it? Can you believe that's what they decided? Maybe for parents, public school, private school, homeschool, there's Christian ways to defend both. Our own ideals quickly, and then how dare that other person? But what did God command? He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. God's primary commands for His people are framed around loving Him and loving others. And then our actions turn into specific things. The relationship first, and then the behavior. But one of the best things we could do before deciding on something, before using our cultural assumptions, is to stop and ask ourselves, does this help me love God? Does this help me to love my neighbor? I wonder how many of us asked those questions when we were thinking about masks and which schools we're pro or against. The question Jesus, and, and look how he answers them in verse 6. It's a statement, but it's also kind of a question. He, he says, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. So quoting Isaiah chapter 29, he says, this is lip service here. You're going through the motions. You're teaching and uh, living for human things like God commanded it. You want to be pure, but your heart is far. Not your organs, but your inner self. It's far from me. Your will, the essence of you, who you are, is, is just so distant. You've elevated human tradition, human standards so far that, that, that you're nullifying Scripture. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we depending on to feel like we're living rightly in this life? Whether you know it or not, all of us are depending on something to make us feel clean, acceptable. That's why you take a shower before you go see people. You want to be acceptable to them. What are you depending on to make yourself right with God? This is our temptation, to be self-reliant. How would you know? How would you know if you're the type of person that is self-reliant? I would ask you to ask your spouse or your friends if you're the type of person that always has an answer. If, if something comes up in normal everyday life, are you the kind of person that is very quick to know, hey, here's what we should do? Here's why this is important. Relationships are not quick to obvious answers. Being clean in God's sight includes having a heart near to Him, not checking off obvious do's and don'ts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And isn't that so grand, but also vague at the same time? It's like, well, now what am I supposed to do? So then we create all of our own specific thoughts and ideas and systems so that I can try to fit in that. But how? How can I really have a heart near to God? 
We've got to examine our priorities. Starting in verse 9, Jesus says, You have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. And he says, For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. And he goes on, and he, and he gives this illustration about how the Pharisees have set up a system that totally disregards the Scriptures. You see, they've, they've created a way for a son to keep and hold on to all of his property. He would, uh, he would promise it to God, to the temple, but keep it all to himself for the, his whole life, and it wouldn't go to the temple until he died. So if the economy collapsed or his parents came under uh, hard times, he wouldn't have to help them at all. But God is so concerned about human flourishing in the Old Testament, it's punishable by death if you don't honor your father and mother. That's a whole other sermon, but what you need to know is God is concerned about you and your family's thriving. And the Pharisees here have created a loophole for men to hold all of their resources to themselves. You can do things that look morally good, like dedicating all your stuff to the church, but inside, it's corrupt. What priorities are steering your life? In this example, Jesus is showing us that we cannot put our cultural beliefs and values above God's Word. That's one of the reasons why he starts with verse 10 the way he does. He says, Moses said. For the Pharisees and scribes, they, they would have a large amount of respect for the first five books of the Bible. Actually, in Matthew, the account in Matthew 15 of the same story Instead of saying Moses says, it says God says. Because in Scripture, we believe that what Scripture says, God says. So Jesus is again pointing them towards the highest authority. The highest authority in our lives is God. So what should we do with tradition? Let's just throw it all away, I guess. <laughs> uh, one pastor that was really helpful this week as I, as I was studying, Alistair Begg, uh, says this. One, should we get rid of tra tradition? No. Tradition can be helpful. We need to accept the benefits that it brings and recognize what it is. It's tradition. Number two, we should distinguish between Scripture and tradition. Is this something we must do? or something we, sh we just would like to do. Many of us want to make something cultural, biblical. And three, we should always subordinate tradition to Scripture. It should always be under the Word of God. Now, I think this is really important, specifically important for this church, reconciliation. Because we want to be a movie trailer glimpse of heaven. We want people from all backgrounds to come together and to worship as one, to be united as one under Christ. 
So we would need to be constantly aware of ourselves, our traditions, our preferences, and what we would even need to set aside so that Christ can be glorified rather than us clinging tightly to our own ideas. I was expecting an amen on that, but that's all right. Uh, Let's look at verses 14 and 15. Jesus summons the crowd again, and he tells them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Uh, Back in the 70s, there were at least 30 women, maybe more, who were brutally murdered, among other things. And um, our culture has made uh, the criminal an an icon. There's TV shows, there's movies, um, there's spin-off series of the same TV shows. Uh, This serial killer, of course, is Ted Bundy. Listen to this account from one of his ex-girlfriends in a a recent article. After Ted abducted two women from a state park on the same day, there were enough witnesses to put a description together. After seeing it in the paper for the first time, Liz, this is his ex-girlfriend, turned white. Her friend, Robert Smith, says of Elizabeth, It looked like my Ted, she says. I was really gripped by fear. Soon after, Elizabeth met up with a friend and called the police. But then when the details about his car didn't match up, she believed maybe he wasn't the suspect. Later, when killings started in Utah, shortly after Ted moved there, Elizabeth was tempted to reach out to the police again. I called King County in Seattle, Elizabeth said, and they said they already looked at him. He just didn't think he looked like a good candidate. They said they already looked at him and he didn't look like a good candidate because Ted Bundy and all of his movies and TV shows and biographies of late, because of his appearance as a white, educated, intelligent man who was well-spoken, very romantic when he spoke to women, he looked like a, didn't look like a good candidate. Did you notice that the, the police didn't even use the usual word of suspect? Instead, they use a word that you use for somebody when they're applying for a job. Because of his physical appearance, he's a candidate for a crime rather than a suspect. As humans, we think that sin has something primarily to do with what we see on the outside. He did not fit their preconceived notions of what a sadistic serial killer should look like. And so he was overlooked. What we see from verse 15, back then and now, is that we assume that all humans start off as morally pure. This is Jesus' main point around all of this. We think there's a certain look to sin. And if you don't have that look, we'll, we'll try to explain it away. Our propensity to sin has nothing to do with outward appearance. Now here's how we close. Jesus says, listen and understand. 
So I invite you, consider this. Whatever you do, whatever you eat, doesn't, it doesn't touch your heart, your, your being. That's not what causes you to be unclean. Purity is concerned with the heart. He says, look inside. Address the internal. What's happening in you? Verse 21, we're not going to go through all of them, but look how they're all, this is a list of thoughts and actions. And Jesus says, all these things, they come from within you. Jesus in Matthew 23, when he's also talking to the Pharisees and the scribes, he gives warnings to them. I think they're appropriate warnings for us today, and um, I've actually never heard a sermon on any of these passages, so hopefully it's okay to read them. Uh, Matthew 23, verse 25, uh, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup, so that the outside of it may also become clean. Then right after, he says, Woe to you again, scribes and Pharisees. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Your heart is sinful. Your environment doesn't make you sin. It might help you to respond to what's already in there. Earlier in Matthew, in chapter 5, Jesus says things like, you've heard it said, uh, do not commit adultery. But I say, if you've already looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. Or you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say, if you've been angry with someone, you've already murdered in your heart. And then he closes it out by saying, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I remember years ago going through these passages with a college student at uh, Mitch's on Hillsborough Street near NC State, and, and he looked at me and said, well, what hope do we have? And I said, man, you tell me. He couldn't tell me because no one had ever told him that the hope is actually in the man whose teaching we're looking at today. The hope that we have is only in this Savior, Jesus Christ. The root cause of our problem, a sinful, selfish, preoccupied heart, only a Savior can fix that. If you were at community group this past week, we prayed through Psalm 51. King David, who's uh, said to be a man who was after God's own heart, but also, if you know about him, he was also a man who sinned greatly. In Psalm 51, he prays for God to create in him a clean heart. If you want your one point of application today, whether you're a follower of Christ whether you don't know who Jesus is at all. 
pray that he would create in you a clean heart. Don't be tempted to look to your own efforts to make you clean. God is asking you to draw near to him. We can only be justified through Christ's righteousness, his perfect life. Never from our strength or what we could do. How will God receive you? Only by drawing near to his heart, prioritizing his commands over your ideas. It's by faith that we are made clean, not through our efforts, but by believing that Jesus is Savior and Lord of all. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that in Christ we can be free. God, we can be free from guilt and shame and worry and from um, wearing ourselves out by trying to make ourselves acceptable through our own efforts. Uh, God, I pray that if we've been following you for a a long time and um, we've fallen into creating our own traditions and ideas of what it means to follow you, God, that we would know that we can confidently go to you in repentance. Uh, God, if uh, we've never prayed to you, but we desire uh, to have a clean heart, God, I pray that we would know that we can come to you just as boldly for the first time because you're a good God that never changes and that by faith we gain Christ's righteousness. Lord, how good you are to us. In Jesus' name, amen.